This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Megan Day, world champion barbecue pitmaster from Lee Summit, will be here with some grilling tips and ideas for tomorrow. Ron DeSalter, who writes for Missouri Life Magazine, did a feature on the cattle drives from Texas to the KC Stockyards. Fascinating stories, and you'll see why Kansas City became known for great barbecue. The dog days of summer are here. Elisa Nelson is with Ellen Keene, the director of the Dogwood Animal Shelter in Osage Beach, about ways to keep your pets safe during the hot summer days. One of the large issues to deal with is fresh, cool water. When it gets this hot, humans need to be hydrated and so do animals. So it's really important uh, that they have fresh water, uh, especially outside dogs because in the heat, uh, the water will kind of sit there and get stale. So um, as much as possible, uh, try and give your animal fresh water. Uh, one of the other things that you need to watch is uh, me and my dogs go walk often. But in this heat on the pavement, you've got to be very careful with the paws because uh, the paws will burn. So I have booties when it gets this hot. I have booties that I put on my dogs. Now, they don't like it, but <laughs> it's better than having uh, burnt paws. Uh, so that's kind of another thing that you need to watch about. Or don't stay on the pavement any longer than you need to and get in a spot where you think that pavement or that concrete has a little bit of shade. Uh, that's, that is really important also. And I, I think many people don't um, consider that dogs can get sunburnt, um, especially the lighter colored dogs and especially white. Um, it doesn't take very long uh, for them to get sunburnt. That being said, uh, in the heat, uh, you really don't want to put any covering on them either because that just heats them up more. So um, that, that is a kind of a fine line uh, to walk with the sunburn issue. And as we all know, we're coming up on the 4th of July. So in the heat and with the fireworks, uh, you've got to really be careful that your dog does not get out. Um, please take precautions at this time. And... Make sure your animal is microchipped, uh, at least if they do get scared and they get out or they run off, um, that microchip can be read and we can get your animal back to you quickly. I want to go back to, okay, the doggy boots. Do you even put those on like when, say, you're going walking even during the earlier part of the day or the later part of the day before the sun sets? Are you still putting those pads on um, or, uh, or do, are you talking about like when it's like super hot out, sun is shining, middle of the day sort of thing? Uh, first thing in the morning is much better because during the night, the uh, pavements have kind of cooled off some. Um, so it kind of depends on when you're walking. Many of us just can't walk in the mornings because of work. Um, so uh, several days during the week, I have to walk when I get off from work. And I have a diabetic cat that needs to be uh, insulated 
insulin it <laughs> um, towards the end of the day. So I've got a a time frame uh, that I can walk my dogs. So during those times uh, is when I use my my paw pads. I, I also use my paw pads at paw pads in the winter time uh, because of the ice and snow because those paws will also freeze. So how do you treat a dog with sunburn? Do you just do aloe vera like you and I would do or or what? Um, yes, I use uh, I usually try and keep I, I haven't had to do this for a long time. <laughs> uh, um, I try and keep them in out of the sun completely. So that means that you've either got it to, if you're going to walk, you need to do it before the sun comes up or before you get them into a sun situation. And after the sun goes down or, or very low, you can keep uh, some kind of uh, oil based on it. And it, it's, it's really hard to do because then you get that into the hair and then you've got another issue that you're dealing with. So... If you get a dog with sunburn, the best thing to do is take it to the vet uh, because they can get a secondary infection if that gets too bad. So my suggestion is to take it to the vet if you know that your dog has a sunburn. And you can usually tell one of the things that happens uh, when they do get the sunburn is that they will they will try and scratch it. Not that it itches, but it feels uncomfortable. And so when they end up scratching it, then it ends up being a sore, and then you get a secondary infection from it. So um, if you find yourself in that situation, I would get to the vet as soon as you could. So we have Ellen Keene, the director of Dogwood Animal Shelter in Osage Beach, joining Show Me Today to talk about pet-related safety tips during the hot weather time of year. Um, and you were talking about the 4th of July some for maybe new dog owners or, you know, even dogs that are older that develop a sensitivity or, or cats, you know, as they get older, sometimes they are a little bit more sensitive to noises. Um, what kind of suggestions do you have to make them comfortable around the 4th of July time when they hear all the snaps and crackles and pops? Right. Um, one of the things that um, would, would help is that if you can get your animal used to louder noises, not loud, but louder noises uh, that become second nature to them, uh, the fireworks don't make as big an impression on them. Uh, but it is still something that is unusual and happens, you know, once or twice a year. So it's something that draws their attention. And not knowing what that is, they will often go hide. Uh, they will often uh, run. It's a loud noise that they do not know what is going to happen. So it's a shock to them, and they want to either get away or get under something. Uh, what we do at my house is... I turn the TV up just a little bit more. Some people use white noise to kind of take that louder noise from them. And I will say that uh, I have a dog that is almost deaf, but 
he is still afraid of the fire of the sound of the fireworks and i i think that's because it's not just the sound it's the vibration that you get get from that and uh dogs can be very sensitive to that uh so when that happens you know they they just don't know what's going on so that shocks them and and they want to get away so anything that you can do to offset that noise. The other thing that we have done at home is I do not act like that is anything out of the ordinary because they can pick up that from you also. If you uh if these noises are going on and it upsets you, uh that dog can pick up that from you. We go on just like nothing is happening. I try and muffle the sound of the fireworks, um, and that 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 helps a lot. That does help a lot. But if your dog gets out, that microchip is so important for us to get that animal back to you. Um, I can't tell you how many animals are misplaced uh, during the Fourth of July. You get pretty busy then. We get pretty busy the week after. Oh, bless your hearts. Uh, because animals have run or something and Mm. somebody else has picked them up and they try and find the owner and they can't find the owner, so they come to us. And and do you have dogs and cats coming out of your ears over there at Osage Beach, Ellen? Yes, we do. Of course, this is, uh, we're in the middle of what we call kitten season. And so I have more than 20 kittens right now and uh, about 20 between 20 and 25 adult cats. Um, Well, what do you need from the public when you you have such an influx of animals like now? Well, of course, uh, like every place else, we have kind of struggled the last year just because of finances and and everything increasing. Uh, Of course, our food bill goes up. Many times our medical bills go up because when we get animals in here, maybe they've uh, been on their own for several days or sometimes several weeks. And so uh, they are going to need uh, medical attention. And if any of you have had uh, vet bills at this point, you know that can kind of get fairly big quickly. So um, so those are, those are the two things that uh, right off uh, we have uh, extra fees for. And then, of course, just our our general upkeep. That's Ellen Keen with Dogwood Animal Shelter in Osage Beach. If you want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. What I remember most is the loneliness I felt, the separation from other people. At the end, drinking was no fun for me. Since I've started to attend AA meetings, the greatest gift is that I've become reconnected. I'm part of life again. I really like myself, and that's wonderful. AA is a miracle in my life. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Here's Heather with the weather. Well, it's beautiful out there, sunny and 75, almost a little chilly in the shade. Now, let's get a read on the inside of your car. It is hot. You've only been parked a short time and it's already 99 degrees in there. Let's not leave children in the back seat while running errands. It only takes a few minutes for their body temperatures to rise, and that could be fatal. 
Cars get hot fast and can be deadly. Never leave a child in a car. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. University of Missouri encourages you to eat smart, like a tiger. Use the grill to cook vegetables and fruits. Try grilling mushrooms, onions, peppers, or zucchini on a kebab skewer. Brush with oil to keep them from drying out. Grilled fruits like peaches, pineapple, or mangoes add variety to a cookout. Find more tips like this at muext.us slash eatsmartlikeatiger. This message was funded by USDA SNAP. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, 4th of July tomorrow. Uh, you may be barbecuing, grilling, having some friends and family over, and uh, this would be the perfect time to have Megan Day from Burnt Finger Barbecue back on with us. Hello, Megan. Hey, Bill. Nice to be back. Now, you're uh, out of the Kansas City area. It's Is it Lee Summit specifically, or did you guys move? Are you still there? No. Yeah, we're still in the Lee Summit area and kind of the metro of the greater, you know, Kansas City landscape. So we hunker down there in Lee Summit. And, of course, we travel all over the city and all over the country to do barbecue contests. But that's kind of our, our home base. Yeah. Yeah. And Well, I just saw, uh, was this back in May that your spicy Casey barbecue sauce took first place? Well, so yeah, our our spicy barbecue sauce, um, Memphis and Bay, which is a giant world championship for pork, but they also have categories in sauce and seafood and all kinds of things. So we are uh, the world champion in barbecue, the tomato-based barbecue sauce, and it happens to be our spicy KC is what took the took the crown. So, but we had we had other successes there too. We took second place in seafood. So a landlocked community um, that we live in, we were able still to knock out an incredible crab cake um, in the seafood category that took second place. And then what, you know, the big showstopper is you do a pork dish um, at these world championships. And so you as a team either get to do pork ribs, pork shoulder, or a whole hog. And we opted to go into the category of the ribs and walked away with an eighth place, which is a giant big deal to finish in the top 10 
at that barbecue contest because it really brings in barbecue teams from around the world. And so getting to watch walk the stage that many times at a contest is a big deal. So yeah. we're pretty we're riding high right now. Well, <laughs> we're riding con- high. Yeah, congratulations. For for people who um who who like barbecue but maybe aren't very deep into it, what's the difference when we hear KC style, Memphis style, Texas style? Sure. What what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? And so it's really about an emphasis. So a barbecue pitmaster is a barbecue pitmaster, right? We're going we're gonna to try to master all the meats. But within a region, for Kansas City specifically, the home of the, the Kansas City-style barbecue, we were in the crossroads of all the different trades of meats. So back in the early days, you know, we were, you know, people were bringing cattle through chicken, turkey, like you name it, beef, they were coming through um, the, the bottoms of Kansas City. So those pitmasters had access to every kind of protein. So a Kansas City style is going to be really any kind of meat that maybe wasn't an easy meat, but took some tender time to make a, a better. So a brisket, um, you've got your, like I said, your chicken, turkey, pork butts. We took time to do that. And then we like to sauce it. So that's kind of a, you know, the molasses style Celery seed is a pretty prominent flavor profile in the Kansas City area as well. You get into someplace like the Carolinas, and it's pork. They didn't have beef industry coming through there, so they mastered pork. You're going to have whole hog, chopped um, pork. It's going to be more vinegar style, and that's really where their flavor profiles are coming from. Texas, it's a lot of beef. It's a lot of sausage beef ribs, because that's really where their industry started. And so, of course, you can find some of the other cuts of meats there, but that's really where their emphasis is going to be. And with Texas, their, their sauce is really just kind of almost tomato. It, I mean, it really is almost like a, like a ragu, you know, kind of that style of, of sauce. It's not a sweet sauce. It's more of just kind of like a little touch of tomato. But pepper and salt are their base for their flavors. So when you hear these regional styles, that's kind of what we're talking about is what the what the meats that were coming through those industries or through their town. Yeah. Now, Memphis style, Memphis kind of gets a little of everything, but they don't do the sauce. They do the rub. So a lot of their stuff is just dry rubbed. You'll get sauce in Memphis and that's fine, but typically it's just going to be more of a dry rub. And so that's when, when you hear, um, and, and really Memphis is, is more pork-oriented than really beef. You're not going to see a whole lot of that on the menu either. Megan Day from Burnt Finger Barbecue in the Kansas City area. And you mentioned, Megan, about uh, beef and the cattle drives in the bottoms there in Kansas City. Uh, in our next segment, we're going to talk with uh, Ron DeSalter from Missouri Life Magazine, who just did an article on the cattle drives and how they um, helped Missouri uh, with business and booming. So we'll talk about that in our next segment. But we need to talk barbecue, 4th of July, some tips. Uh, and Megan also has a big announcement to make, too, and we'll get to that. Uh, Megan, yeah. how how can hot temperatures outside affect our grilling? Do coals, pellets, do they burn faster? Do we need to put fewer on uh, on a hot day? Yeah. What if it's windy? How do how do we figure that out as we get ready with the, all of our friends and family coming over? Well, I say if it's really really hot out, consider putting a little pan of water. Um, add a little bit of moisture to that cook because it is going to be hotter than normal. Um, and you can do just a little side panel, um, a little get just get a little, um, even make a boat out of some tin foil if you want to, and just add a little bit of water to it um, and add some moisture back in. 
Uh, that would always be my tip when it's a little bit hotter. Um, and, you know, you're going to want your outside's going to be even hot. So the lid. So be careful if you've got little fingers and, and, and hands running around to make sure that you've got it sectioned off so that they're not touching um, not only where the coals are, but even the lids, because like I said, the heat's going to be there. But as far as, uh, you know, really affecting the cook, really wind is probably going to be your biggest issue. If you can turn so figure out which way the wind is going. And so when, if you want more, um, if you want more wind, put, put that, you know, right where it's going to, that intake is going to pick up more um, of the wind, but chances are that's not what you want. So I would tilt your, your grills so that if you have any intake that's coming in, that it's not directly affected by that wind because it will blow your fire out or it will make it more intense because more oxygen is going to increase the flames. Megan, you have uh, shared some, uh, recipes. In fact, I remember uh, yeah. it may have been last 4th of July and this I don't even know if this was necessarily a recipe, but this was just a great little side. You talked about setting the grill at uh, like 225 with some cream cheese and putting a rub on there. Yeah. And oh man, we did that and so I good. gotta tell you, oh that was so good. Yeah. So what little... Uh, Isn't that a fun one? Oh, that is. I love it. I th- Yeah. It was gr- I, I would never think of putting a block of uh, cream cheese on there because oh, that would just... <laughs> melt right away but you you said that as like oh gosh yeah. yeah it was it was delicious so give us another um little tip whether it's a a main course or just something that that people can serve up during the day as maybe we're waiting for fireworks something that uh, would be quick and easy for our listeners yeah i'll t- this is my kid's favorite and we've been doing it a ton have i have i talked to you before about grilled candy bars no okay Kid, so kids easy. we talk about kids. kids i'm interested now my ears are perked I, I'll tell you why. Okay, everybody. So this is like an easier, less messy version of a s'more, right? So get a little, get a flour tortilla. It can be like the medium sized flour tortilla. Get the, your favorite candy bar. You can go smaller and get the bite sized candy bars, however you want to do it. But get a, a jar of the, you know, the the fluff, your your marshmallow fluff, yeah, right? Yeah. So you get a tortilla, you get your fluff, and then your favorite candy bar. Think things that don't necessarily have nuts or cookies in them, right? Something that's not going to have a hard thing. So Three Musketeers, Milky Ways. You can do a Snickers, just know someone might get a nut in there. Um, Anything, Caramellos. Oh, just think of anything really good yummy. So you put a little bit of the fluff down, put your candy bar in it, and then wrap it up like a burrito, okay? So fold it around the two edges and then kind of roll it like they do do at a burrito shop, right? Then I take a little bit of spray butter and spray the outside of the tortilla. Then I wrap it up very tightly in tin foil and then put it over indirect heat. So not over the coals because it'll get hot, hot fast. You want it just to slowly kind of melt it down, right? So stick it over indirect heat. If you've got a gas grill, light one side of your gas grill and leave the other side without a burner going and just set them over off to the side. So you'll do that for about probably five minutes or so. Then go over direct, just kind of flip them back and forth a couple times over the direct heat just to kind of finish it off. Then when the kids open it up, it's in foil. It's ooey and gooey, kind of already in a tortilla. And then the, the eating experience is way better than like building a s'more and it getting everywhere. So that's my tip. Grill up some candy bars and wow your friends and family. Oh, wow. I mean, you could do a s'more. You could just do a Hershey bar in there, like a like a traditional sure. more. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, you could crumble up some graham crackers, do a Hershey bar. Exactly. Anything that kind of makes, makes the bite-through experience well. Well, I'm going to try that one. That's for sure. No doubt. Megan Day from uh, Burnt 
fingers, barbecue. Oh, another great tip. All right, uh, two things. I know you have a, a big announcement to make, um, but you have some great items, obviously uh, world championship items. Tell us about your website first. Yeah, so Burnt Finger BBQ is our website, and we try to do a good job of throwing out some good recipes that are on there, making announcements about any appearances that we're doing, kind of brag a little bit about some of the awards that we're winning. But the big thing for us is, you know, it's a chance for people to get a hold of our products. And so we do have two sauces, three different seasonings, um, and we're trying our best to really help people understand how to use those seasonings so they don't just sit on the shelf, right? And uh, that's the the more important part. But you can catch us on the the website there. We'll be making some more fun announcements in the future, too. So keep up with that. And then social media, if you Instagram, Facebook, a whole, all of them, we're out there at Burnt Finger BBQ. Megan has been on uh, plenty of television shows. She won season four of Chopped Grill Masters. She's been on uh, the Today Show on NBC. I mean, you, you name it. She's been on it. You've got another big announcement coming up. Tell us about it. Yeah, so we were really fortunate that a crew followed us last year at the American Royal. They followed my husband and I for our team, Burnt Finger Barbecue, but really exciting. They got in on the action of the kids doing the kids' cues. So our son, Hank, and our daughter, Meredith, who are seven and nine, had a chance to, you know, put their grilling uh, skills to the test, and the cameras followed along with what they were doing as well. So we just found out that we're going to be in the premiere episode on Monday the 10th. It's on Food Network and a show called Barbecue USA. It's season two. Michael Simon goes around across the United States and follows these barbecue teams to see how they do it, what they do, and what energy they can bring to the, you know, the barbecue community. And so it, we just found out we're going to be featured on that show. So we're excited to uh, share the passion and maybe get some more people hooked into the industry. How awesome. I will definitely watch. Megan Day, pitmaster and co-owner of Burnt Finger Barbecue right here in Missouri. Happy 4th and great catching up with you. You as well. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Back on Show Me Today, our next guest is Ron Sedalter, who wrote a fascinating piece in the June issue of Missouri Life magazine about how the cattle business shaped Missouri and continues to be a tourism engine for uh, two of the towns most associated with cattle drives and stockyards. Now, I think most people here in Missouri are probably going to say Kansas City, but there's another city. Ron, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Two cities here in Missouri, we think Kansas City, but my colleague Ashley Bird and I, we went to the State Fair a couple of summers ago to talk to some people and get some stories, and, and we actually learned a little bit of history about cattle drives, and they, they got their start in Sedalia. Now, their their history was brief, but uh, Ron, can you talk about the role that Sedalia first played? Absolutely. Uh, Sedalia was a new city. It was founded in 1857. And um, at the end of the Civil War in 1865, when uh, Texans returned to their native state, they found that the state of Texas was pretty impoverished. What it did have, however, was about 5 million head of longhorn steers, which were worth practically nothing in Texas but as much as $40 in the market in Chicago. 
That's equivalent to about $750 a head today. So the thing to do, since there was no railroad, was to drive them north to a market, uh, to a town or a city that actually had a railroad. And Sedalia, by 1861, did. And it was the uh, Missouri Pacific. And so for that first year of the trail drives, the Texans drove upwards of a million, a quarter of a million head of longhorn steers to Sedalia. Wow. Well, then what caused the shift west to Kansas City? A few things. Um, one was the uh, the railroad, actually, uh, the Kansas uh, Pacific Railroad, made it as far as Abilene, which was a shorter, easier trip out of Texas. And the market was there waiting with the railroads. Uh, another reason was the uh, what was called Texas fever. Um, afflicted the, the the steers out of uh, out of Texas, and although the Longhorns were um, immune to the ticks that carried it, local stock was not. And when the Longhorns came in contact with local animals, uh, the animals became infected. So Missouri did everything it could to discourage the trail drives from coming into the state. So this the uh, the uh, Cattle drive shifted over into Kansas to such cities as Abilene, Dodge City, Ellsworth, Caldwell, and uh, Wichita. And so there was born the uh, the 20-year history of the trail drive. Wow. You know, it's fascinating to think uh, what would have happened had that not taken place, uh, how big Sedalia may have become. I mean, Sedalia may have been the modern Kansas City in terms of size that, that we know it is. It might have, but uh, eventually, as I say, the trail drives ended after about a 20-year lifespan. And at that time, you know, you don't you don't see Abilene or Caldwell or Ellsworth or Newton um, becoming cities an- analogous to a Kansas City or or such. And uh, I think Sedalia probably would have gone back to being basically a quiet uh, Missouri town. Ron Sedalter uh, wrote an article in Missouri Life magazine about the cattle business and how it shaped Missouri. What was life like on these cattle drives for cowboys? I mean, we see it in TV and movies, but what was a day or Um, a a trip for a cowboy like? Well, it was an 18-hour day for about three months on the trail in all weathers, in the same clothes, without hardly ever bathing. And, uh, excuse me, it was a pretty rough life. Um, Cowboys were mostly young. They ranged between 16 and 30. And uh, they had many ways in which they could perish. There were always Indians who believed that the land was theirs in the first place. Uh, There were cattle rustlers, but there were also natural causes of death that were more prevalent. A cowboy could die from pneumonia for sleeping on the ground in all weathers. Uh, He could die from being dragged behind his horse, die in stampedes, and most commonly being hit by lightning in a storm or drowning. You know, when we see the westerns, we see um, trail drivers um, escorting docile heads of cattle across, uh, across calm streams or rivers. In fact, these rivers were rough. They were deep. They were fast moving. And a lot of the cowboys couldn't swim. The uh, great songwriter Ian Tyson wrote a song about a true-to-life Texas trail driver. And in it, he has a verse that starts, in the cold roiling waters and the wild plunging cattle, it was many a young man took leave of his life. Um, 
And often what didn't kill you just made you miserable. Uh, a lot of cowboys were afflicted by hemorrhoids for spending days upon days and months upon months in the saddle, as I say, 18 hours a day without respite. And so uh, <laughs> that became a problem that you will probably never see in a Western. So, Ron, you're working 18 days. That means there's six where you're taking uh, a break. Uh, how do you no, control? 18 hours a day, Bill. 18 yeah. hours a day, and yeah. there was no break. Um, it was two to three months on the trail, 11 to 12 or so men guiding a herd of two to 3,000 irascible, mean-tempered, slab-sided Texas cattle to market. Um, it was not romantic, and yet... Cowboy after cowboy, once they hit um, you know end of trail, would sign up for the next drive. And you had cowboys, young men, who would uh, do drive after drive after drive, four, five, six, six trail drives. Was it for the money? Was it good money? What was, was it? The adventure? <laughs> what? Yeah. What? I mean, why did these cowboys? It was continue a dollar a day. <laughs> it was a dollar a day for an eighteen-hour day, seven days a week, and. Uh, as I say, it was far from romantic, but it was romantic enough by concept to continually attract these young guys. They took great pride in being cowboys. It was uh, <laughs> it became the great American myth of the cowboy, and these guys were living the life. So uh, as long as the trail drives were there, you would have enough men, um, you know, to ride herd on these on these cattle. Where did these cowboys come from? Were they from Texas? Were they all over the country? Did yeah, they mostly, hear about these mostly stories? Mostly they're from Texas. Oh, okay. Uh, mostly they're from Texas because that's where the drives started, Bill. Yeah. Um, so, as a matter of fact, the town of Round Rock, Texas, was known as the cradle of the American cowboy. Um, as I say, they ranged in age from young teenagers up to, at the most, around 30. It was a young man's job. Um, and uh, if you had a good trail driver, and someone who could ramrod a herd, then uh, it was a professional job, and these guys took pride in it. Yeah, I didn't know if uh, perhaps these ranchers uh, recruited, you know, kids from out east. Uh, hey, you looking looking for adventure out in the wild west? Come be a cowboy. I didn't know if that uh, took place. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They didn't. They didn't have to. There yeah, were, there were plenty waiting to go. Wow, Ron Desalt, uh, Ron Sedalter. Uh, wrote a piece in the June issue of Missouri Life magazine about the cattle business and how it shaped Missouri. And so the Kansas City Stockyards, I, I think the last cattle that was sold there was 1991, so really not that That's long correct, ago. Yeah. yeah, but boy, that was a that was a booming business for a long time in Kansas City. It was an incredible business. It started as a five-acre plot in a section uh, called West Bottoms near the Missouri River. And some forward-looking entrepreneurs bought the five acres, penned them, and brought in uh, a handful of, of cattle. And over the course of the next 120 years, the thing just burgeoned. By the end of World War One, the what was called the Kansas City Stockyards was processing over 3 million head of cattle uh, a month, which is staggering. And... Uh, at one point, they were employing tens of thousands of Kansas City locals. The size of the city uh, multiplied exponentially in terms of population, and it was the Kansas City stockyards that kept it all going. And they did it through floods, through uh, fires, through major labor disputes. 
until, as you say, finally, 121 years after it was first established, they put their last cow through the gate. Ron, I'll give you the final thought. As you were working on this story, what piece of information or bit of history did you learn that you found to be the most amazing? Um, I think it would have to be the, uh, the story of the stockyards. I had no idea. Uh, I know, as as you know, as you said, I know a good deal about cowboys and the cattle drives um, and where they went and what happened uh, once they got there. You know, at end of trail, but I knew practically nothing about processing stock in Kansas City, which was so ideally placed that it could drive, it, it could send in refrigerator cars, uh, process meat north and east, um, easier than than Chicago. And uh, so that that was that was news to me. It was it was a revelation. Get your hands on the June issue of Missouri Life magazine and read more about the cattle business that shaped Missouri. Ron Sedalter, thanks for your time. Great talking with you. Thank you, Bill. It's been a pleasure. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, can potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you, but it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. AA made all the difference in my life. I noticed that most of the goals I had as a kid were slipping by. I didn't feel like the person I hoped to be. After all those years of drinking, I, I really didn't know myself. When I was out there drinking, I was always looking for the next great party to make me feel all right. With AA, I found a better way of life. And I feel good in my everyday life, even without a drink in my hand. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Many business owners and entrepreneurs today are drowning in unsecured debt and just can't stop incurring more. Business Debtors Anonymous is a 12-step recovery program where you will receive support for doing business and living life without incurring new unsecured debt. Business Debtors Anonymous offers meetings every day where members support one another to help them stop incurring new unsecured debt. You're not alone. Visit helpfordebtors.org. That's helpfordebtors.org. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. 
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today. The St. Louis Jewish Community Center's biannual used book sale is a great resource for avid readers and educators. Cameron Connor is here with Hannah Dinkle to talk about the sale that begins later in August. Hannah, how long has the community center put this on? This book sale has been going on 25 years, I believe. So this is um, one of the older and also one of the larger, um, you know, higher traffic, better known sales in the area. Okay. Okay. Great. And for that itself, what's uh, just an estimate? It doesn't have to be an exact number or anything like that. What is the general traction that you get for this weekend event? How many people are coming to this? So well, it's a little hard to say because we also get a lot of um, repeat shoppers um, that you know come the first preview day to you know get the best selection and then kind of trickle in and um, you know then are even there at the last day for the fill bag day, but I would say probably around 1,000, 1,200 people. So as far as this event yeah. goes, can, can you give me the rundown? Give me the who, what, when, where, why? Sure. So these book sale takes place at the um, Jewish Community Center, at the Steinberg campus in Creve Corps. And the sale begins August 27th, which is a Sunday, and it goes to Thursday, August 31st. The first day is the only day um, we call preview day that there is an admission. Um, there is a $10 fee to get in, and that is um, really for those, uh, you know, collectors, you know, book connoisseurs that are really looking for something special and want to have the best selection possible. That goes 10 to 6, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, free admission. The hours are 10 to 7, and then Thursday, our last day, is our fill-a-bag day. That's, you can fill as many bags as you like for only $5 a bag, and the hours there are 10 to 8. This is truly a bookworm's dream. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, that, that that's fantastic. So I guess one of the questions that really sparks my interest about this is clearly, you know, you are getting a massive variety and collections of books and everything like that. How exactly do you come across them? Is it just kind of like a donation by like person by person basis that give these books to you? Do you reach and outreach for them? What is that process like? You know, so I, you know, as far as when I came to work at the J and inherited um, this book sale, the planning and execution of it anyway. Um, I'm I'm really lucky. The J is already known as a longtime um, book drop. I get book donations every single day um, during um, the you know times of year that we're taking donations, and that takes you know the form of people just dropping off you know a few books here and there in our wood drop box, or professors contacting me that are retiring from WashU and literally want to donate an entire library and anything and everything in between. And as you um, let on a little bit, really any type of book, topic, genre, 
that you can imagine we, we get donated to us. For anyone who's just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Hannah Dinkle. She is the Director of Literary Arts at the J, and we're talking about the St. Louis Jewish Community Center's biannual used book sale, an event that happens twice a year. For anyone out there that is a avid bookworm and wants to get a new selection, maybe just a new book, or <laughs> I guess you could ramp up for the whole year <laughs> with, with how many books you can get yes. at this thing. <laughs> this is such a phenomenal event. And Hannah, I guess for the, those avid readers out there, is there maybe, whether it's collections from the past or anything like that, or maybe some new events that you're, or some new books that you have this year that you want to tease or anything like that, are, are there some great collections out there that you can, I guess, showcase to people to kind of draw them in? Sure, absolutely. So we've had a couple of physicians donate um, quite a few items to their libraries um, as they're you know, retiring and downsizing. So for anyone that is um, studying biology or even in medical school, there are some really, really awesome um, resources that have been donated to us. Of course, for the history buffs, um, we have, that's probably one of our larger selections every year. Um, in fact, we even had to make a few subcategories <laughs> for easier shopping because we just get so many um, you know, Judaica, history, you know, literature, um, stuff like that. So I would say anyone that has a niche interest in a language or a, um, you know, literary time period, um, there's, there's going to be something for you because we've gotten some really, really neat donations, once again, from Washington professors. What's the best resource that they can find to go out and get more information about this used book sale? So um, definitely start at the website. So that's just jccstl.com slash programs. And then you can kind of shop everything that we have going on here at the J. And then if you are just interested in the used book sale for now, after programs, it's slash used dash book dash sale slash. And that will take you to the landing page with all of the information, hours, um, location, anything you could possibly need, including my contact information. Just to give a rundown once again for this used book sale, let's see here. So we have the preview day, and that's for the first day. That's Sunday, August 27th, and that's going to be the only one that requires admission. And then after that, it transitions to general admission. And then for the last day, it's a bag day, correct? Which you can fill an entire correct. bag for $5. Yes, and that's Thursday, August 31st is our last day, which is the fill a bag day. Show me today.